Well, look, we're coming up on some milestones here at the church. In a few weeks, it'll have been a whole year since I put the communion rails on the wall here, and I haven't touched them since. We haven't had the common cup for communion for almost a year. We haven't touched the hymn books there in the pews for almost a whole year. Some members of our congregation haven't stepped a toe into this church for almost a whole year. Now, those of you who have been attending pretty regularly, you still remember what things look like in here? Do you remember what's on the doors on the way out of church? You know what I'm talking about? You seen those things? Yes, those wooden strips attached to the doors that say, we are pardoned from sins, but not excused from service. Now, I know they've been there a long time. I, I don't know if they're original to the 1930 construction here of this, or if they were added later. Perhaps some of you know. Pastor Schultheis put that up. Is that right? Okay. Well, I, I get the underlying essence of, of it, the statement. I mean, you just worshiped. God and heard a sermon or slept through one, either case, sung hymns and prayed, you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, don't think for one second that you're going to walk out of here having checked off that box for the next week or month. You know, I've done church, I'm not, I'm good doing nothing for nobody but myself until I come back, right? We are pardoned from sins but not excused from service on the church doors, seems to me, at least, an attempt to perhaps convict the lackadaisical worshiper to do something for the kingdom of God. I don't know, though. If I were a lackadaisical churchgoer, I don't think it would convict me to do a thing. But that's just me. In a way, we are pardoned from sins, but not excused from service. Reminds you of the gospel you just heard moments ago in the sermon, but then seems to take it back with the law. You are forgiven. Now do something. We're not excused from service. So, I guess that means if, if I don't serve and I have no excuse, is someone going to hold me accountable? You know, is that some kind of threat? You know, are there consequences? Is that even in the Bible? Is that what the Bible teaches? Many of us read these beloved portals of prayer devotional books, and no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash these things either. Okay, I'm actually, I read an article from one of my colleagues that these things have gotten a lot better over the years. They've been, these have been around for 70 years, and, and from what I read, when they, the, when they first came out for the first couple of decades, um, the writers would close each daily devotion, devotional thought with a, now go do something. There isn't, a, there isn't as much of that anymore in these, from what I read. But it, this all paints a picture that 
Maybe there's been a shift in our approach to good works in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. In generations past, like Franny said, if that was Pastor Schultheis, his wife, well, that's still going back a few years, right? Uh, In generations past, perhaps there was more intentional prodding by the pastor or the elders of the church to get lackadaisical sinners off their keisters and go do good works for others. You know, whatever the case, whatever changes in thought which have occurred over the last 500 years about this or that, one thing remains the chief concern of our particular Christian denomination. One thing remains the chief concern. And do you know what that one thing is? It's, well, it's not abortion It's not having a loud voice in the political or public arena. It's not the sanctity of marriage or the changing norms of human sexuality. It's not even social justice. It it goes along with, you said, the word and faith. It's that sinners know it's by God's grace alone that they are saved and not by their good works. Sola gratia. Sola fide and sola scriptura. I, I don't use much Latin in church, right? <laughs> it's maybe the first time I've used it in 10 years, right? But that's Latin for, for grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of scripture alone. That, my friends, is the chief concern of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Interesting, isn't it? That in this day and age, with so many problems in the world, the three solas remain the chief concern of Lutheran Christians. Well, not all Lutheran Christians. Other synods have made their chief concern social justice, climate justice, identity politics, and human diversity. Very much a now-go-do-this approach to faith. You know, it's almost a throwback to the Deeds, not creeds, rallying cry of the universalist, unitarian church movement, church movement that swept this country in the late 1800s. You know, that was a movement that was all about, let's be and do the church, and not just talk about the church. Let's not just talk about our religion. And, and that idea enticed millions of people into that tradition of worship, and it still entices millions today. Now, the motivation behind that, it, it, it seems like a good thing, right? Let's do things for somebody, but there's a problem. See, our creeds say what we believe. We confess the doctrine God has laid before us in His Word with the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Without their biblical foundation, we'd have nothing to base those creeds on. So for the person who says, deeds, not creeds, well, what do they base their deeds on then? If they say, well, Jesus tells us to love, feed, and clothe people at the very minimum, right? Well, that's doctrine. That's doctrine. It's something you believe and you confess. So it's a creed. 
So for the person saying deeds, not creeds, well, they're defeating their own argument. Now, for the person who says, well, it makes me feel good as a Christian, and it just seems right that I do good for others. All right, well, what's that based on? Nothing more than one's own inner feelings and thoughts. Not the Word of God, because God's Word comes from the outside, comes to us from the outside. So our denominational approach to this the whole time since Martin Luther and the Reformation has been, if, if what you believe is rightly based solidly on God's Word, then your good deeds should flow from that. And with joy that God has given you in His promises of forgiveness and everlasting life. Sin has a way, though, of twisting everything around to make us focus on ourselves and what we're doing. And sin causes us to ask ourselves these questions, which can burden the conscience, like, am I doing enough? Have I ever done enough? What am I supposed to do? Is God pleased with my works? Am I being selfish? Well, the answer to those questions are, we can never do enough for God. We've never done enough. Whatever we're doing is not perfect and pleasing to God the Father. And we're always selfish in some way, even when we're doing good works for others. To give you an example, as I am so diligently serving you now in delivering a message of God's word to you, and I may seem completely focused on that, a part of me inside wants to stop because I can't stand hearing myself speak for this long. Maybe some of you can't stand hearing me speak this long either. Okay, but this is something I've been battling with ever since I got into this work. And I don't know what it is. I've asked others about it. And it's a phenomenon that happens with some people in public speaking. But I... I can't explain it other than a part of me, you know, a part of that sin that remains in me even after baptism wants me to shut up. You know, we all have a remnant of that old Adam in us even after our baptism. But there's hope. As you can see, I'm, I'm fascinated with the, uh, with the Christian's fractured approach to faith and good works. I, I, it's really an interesting subject to me, and I could teach it for hours. Right? I find it really interesting and helpful in looking at my own faith and how to try and be a better pastor in these ever-trying times of spiritual warf warfare. But I chose this text from James to preach on today, and so I need to look at that before we run out of time and before I really do shut myself down. <laughs> Now, James is an apostle we hear from a few times in the church year, only a few times, and not the whole letter either. There are some good-sized chunks of James that were left out of the Sunday lectionary. But let me read which comes after the verses which you have printed in your folder today, which does not normally get read on Sundays. You can read this at home. In fact, when you get home today, I encourage you to read the entire letter of James. It, it doesn't take very long. It's not, it's not a very long letter. 
But here's what comes after our verses for today. Always do what the Word says. Don't merely listen to it, and so deceive yourselves. If anyone listens to the Word, but doesn't do what it says, he's like a man who in a mirror sees his face uh, he was born with. He looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looked like. But if you look into God's perfect Word, which makes us free, and are loyal to it, if you don't merely listen and forget, but do what it says, you'll be happy and blessed as you do it. Someone may think he's religious, but if he doesn't control his tongue, he's deceiving himself, and his religion is worthless. Your way of worshiping is pure and stainless before God the Father if you look after orphans and widows in their troubles and keep yourself unspotted in the Word. In the word. <clears throat> Man, does that, does that not like, sound like those statements we have on our church doors on the way out? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I've spent a good, a good deal of time already with you affirming our church's chief concern in all times. God has saved us through His grace alone, through faith alone, based on Scripture alone, and not our good works. Why then does James seem to be saying something along the lines of deeds, not creeds? Well, first of all, James is not Paul. He has his own speaking voice, even though his words are the inspired word of God given to him through the Holy Spirit. Even so, James shows us the same doctrine of God as Paul but with a different perspective, a different lens, so to speak. James isn't putting the cart before the horse here. He's not saying our good deeds are first and foremost what you should do to foster faith in Jesus. He says the word is implanted in us as a seed is planted in soil. And that jives perfectly well with what Jesus teaches in his parable about the sower, right? We are the dirt, and the seed is faith that gets planted in the dirt. You're either going to be good dirt, okay dirt, or bad dirt, right? And James affirms that a seed is planted into the soil. God's word comes from the outside, like a seed is, you know, seeds just don't miraculously grow in the dirt. You've got to put them in there. The word of God comes into us germinates, if you will, inside of us, grows, and hopefully produces a harvest of righteousness in our lives. So hearing God's word should lead us to applying it in our lives. It's a gradual thing. It grows and it works. Now, not, not everyone does this, and not everyone does it at the same level. There are indeed lackadaisical believers who do little for anyone but themselves. That's just the way it is. Now, they still have saving faith. They're still going to get saved. They're not going to be condemned. But there's blessing. There's blessing for those whose good works flow from their faith. 
See, the law of God is like a mirror. It shows us who we are, and it shows us our shortcomings and failings in light of the Ten Commandments, as well as the other commandments from Jesus to love one another, feed and clothe the poor, take care of orphans and widows, stop sinning sexually, and spread the news about Him and baptize people. The law also shows shows us the righteousness we already have in Jesus Christ because if we didn't have His righteousness, the law would be meaningless to us. See, it's necessary, it's necessary to do good works. It doesn't mean we do them to earn merit badges with God, but because it's God's will that we do them. He wants others to benefit from our works. He spreads His blessings, the works of His hands, across the people of this planet with the hands of His children, believers in Jesus Christ. This is James's message. Just spelled out a little differently than Paul, the way Paul puts it, but the same message nonetheless. You know, we really ought to have a whole season of the church year based on James alone, or a Bible study or something. He really is kind of a neglected apostle, uh, especially in the Lutheran church. He's a little more popular amongst the holiness churches who, are really, who really do emphasize good works uh, because the way his message flows really fits into their, to their uh, agenda, right? But that's an error. Our uh, approach to it is... Well, forgive my shameless plug for the LCMS. It's the correct one. He encour- James encourages you and me to return to the Word and take comfort in the good news that Jesus died for you and forgives you all your sins and makes you and me righteous with God the Father by His blood. Yes, we are pardoned from sins and our service to others flows from that good news. Now you may struggle with that, wondering why or wondering if or why you're not doing that then or if you're not doing it enough. God knows this. You can still talk to Him about it. He won't forsake you or ignore your concerns. His Spirit is with you to encourage you, help and comfort you. If you have no concern or motivation to service in God's kingdom, well, as James says, you're missing out. You're missing out on the blessings of your doings. So may each and every one of us thank the Lord our God for His Word, which gives us life, and may we all continually hold it before us and bring us to where it is taught and preached. May it be rooted deep inside us that it would transform us into God's righteous servants. Amen.